or am I done? We did? Okay, y'all stop doing that then. We're going to preach. I have got to start figuring this order out. Last hour, I totally forgot the offering. And they, they put it up there. Like right now, there's a word that says ordination. So you have to stay, Zach. Where'd Austin go? Come over here. B, come on out. If it weren't for that word, I'd be preaching, bro. That's fine. Preach, okay. man. Yeah. So this is Austin Poth. This is his sweet wife, B. Um, they don't get much better. This is, this is the real deal right here. So Austin and I started talking a few months ago about uh, the Lord calling him to vocational ministry and leading the way with all of the stuff we do in worship and work with Zach and light, sound, video, audio, everything you can imagine. This guy can do anything. I mean, he's a great musician. Um, he's even a better dude. And um, we began to pray about it. And uh, when, when I chatted with B this morning, I thought, wow, she really is sweeter than him. And uh, yeah, and I, I just want to tell you, only God could put this in play. Uh, there's only one person on the planet that we genuinely thought, that guy, we need God to give us that guy. And we prayed for it, didn't we? I mean, just genuinely, all right. And then when he said yes, it was like, really? Because <laughs> we're paying nothing. I mean, like, I don't know how you, it's barely poverty level that we're paying you. And, and by the way, it won't get much better. But, <laughs> I mean, they give all, the pastor all the money here. So it's, you know, it's a really cool deal. But I asked Austin about ordination. Because ordination, as I see it in Scripture, uh, isn't really an official act. It's a, it's a statement of a matter of the heart. It's, 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 the, it's a church saying, buddy, we, we trust you, we love you, we see God working in you. And a man or woman saying, yeah, and I want to hear God's call, and I want to answer God's call, and I want to step off the boat of who and what I am now and step on to the ground of where God's called me, and I'm going to burn the boat. And so uh, Austin is saying, that's the, that's the man I want to be. That's the pastor I want to be. And it's a church saying, and that's the kind of guy I want to be our pastor. One of the things I'm so excited about is uh, we, we've now got the A to the Z. We have Austin to Zach. Come on, that's pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah, I didn't even think about that last hour, so y'all got the bonus material. Uh, but church, by saying amen, are you willing to say, Austin, we're for you, buddy. We want you to succeed wildly. We want you to experience uh, God's best. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And Austin, are you saying, church, I'm, I'm going to be faithful to you? I'm, I'm going to I'm going to answer God's call and I'm going to serve the Lord at this church. And that's, B, you with him on this? Yeah, I'm so glad because without you we'd have never hired him. And uh, so that y'all know this, and you wonder why we make such a big deal about this, it, because it is a big deal. Uh, Every place I've ever served in ministry, whoever was the leader of the organization always said to me, you are an extension of my ministry. But every time I read the New Testament, I never, ever read that. What I, 
what I hear and what I read and what I know is that the Spirit of God picked you up and placed you at Sugar Hill to do what he's equipped you to do. We just have the blessed opportunity to do it together. And so I want to pray over you, and I want to ask you to join with me. God, I want to thank you for uh, the call on Austin's life. I want to thank you for how you are have raised him up, you have set him aside, and that you are going to use him to do great and mighty things for your kingdom. God, would you give uh, he and she the greatest possible blessing in their life, whatever that may be, and would you honor his faithfulness to step off the boat from Vernon by saying, I want to follow Jesus and live for Jesus, and I want to ordain my life to walk with him and serve him whenever and wherever that he calls me. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and everybody said, amen. I love you, buddy. Thank you, buddy. Love it's going to be good. It's going to be good. All right, get out of here. Now I can preach. Good night. It's 1140. I got 10 minutes to preach. Zach, you've got to stop taking so much time, buddy. You're never going to leave, are you? Just, all right. Well, I love you, bud. Hey, Jared, by the way, that's Austin's brother. Wave to everybody. If he loved God like he says he does, he'd play with us every week. But, you know, some people just don't mean it. There he goes. Hey, I heard this story about two old friends that met together on the street one day, and one looked sad, almost like just totally like in tears. The guy was just like right at the verge of tears. And so the sad fellow says, let me tell you something, man. My life is falling apart. And so the guy said, well, tell me what happened. He said, well, three weeks ago, my uncle died, and he left me $40,000. And this guy's looking at him like, you fool, $40,000? He said, that's not the end of it. He said, well... Two weeks ago, a cousin I've never met died, and he left me $85,000. Guys, that's awesome. How blessed is that? 125 grand, it's yours. He said, yeah, I know, but, but it got worse. He said, uh, last week, my great aunt passed away, and I inherited almost a quarter of a million dollars from her. And this guy's head is spinning. Now he says, why are you so sad? And he said, it's Thursday, and nobody's died. Come on, that's good, right? Come on. Okay. Track with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. It'll be on the screen, so you've got your an app or your Bible with you. Uh, look this up. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning of verse 6. Today we're talking about contentment. What I've discovered in contentment is that there's a, uh, there's this, there's a, there's a line out here and, and in that, on one side, people are like radically contented people. And over here are folks that are just radical discontented people or malcontents, right? And somewhere in the middle is where most of us live. And so I asked the 930 group, and I want to ask you. So if 10 is, I'm perfectly wonderfully content, and 1 is, I am a radical discontented human being. What's your number? So anybody in here that's a 10? Anybody? Nowhere? I had two last hour, but I think they lied. Okay, good. How many of you have an eight or nine? You say eight or nine is my number. Okay, good, 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 good. That's awesome. All right. How many of you would be a six or seven? Jen, I haven't seen your hand yet. I'm a little, a little worried. It's like, one, I live with Chuck. Yeah. So to save me that embarrassment, how many of you are five or, or lower? Babe? 
Oh, you raised your hand. What was your number? She loves me. <laughs> chapter, chapter 6, verse 6, 1 Timothy. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from these evil things and listen to the list. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tight to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Being content, as we think about these verses, we have to wrap our head around, but how do we define contentment? Well, the dictionary says it's a state of happiness and satisfaction. But I don't meet many people who kind of sit in that category. I am I'm happy and I'm satisfied. I don't meet those people. I don't even meet that person in the mirror very often. So I don't want to preach on contentment and y'all think, wow, Chuck's got it figured out because I can totally whack out on this. And Jen can tell you, I can fall off the cliff and believe and compare and, and, and my, my, my level of being discontented can be radical in my life because I can fall off the wagon and be like, you know, but if I could, but if I had, but if I could do what I want to do. And then all of a sudden, it's like God reaches down and said, Chuck, son, you're like your dog Kirby. He, he has to make a noise to get my attention. Paul's teaching us that when we cultivate contentment in our lives, it is because we have chosen to put the right things in priority. You see, I don't believe there's anything wrong with making a lot of money. As a matter of fact, I want you to. If what you're geared to do and what you, I want you to make so much money that when you tithe on it, we end our debt in one day because you've made that much money. Amen. See? By the way, Rick, that's never going to happen to you, bro, so just give that one up, all right? But you know, it might, and if it does, I know Rick will do it. Amen. See? <laughs> but money isn't the problem here. Money isn't the problem in this text, but loving money crowds out the contentment that Paul is talking about. Listen, if you are chasing your God-given dream, go chase it. But if you're chasing something that you have to go around Jesus to get, I'm telling you, you'll never find contentment. Now, many of you say, but Chuck, I don't need contentment. I just need to be at peace. I don't believe you can be at peace until you're contented. But, but, but here's what happens to me. God will bless me with something that I didn't ask for, and it'll be like, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? Because what I really want is this. And God will keep bringing me back and keep bringing me back. And here's what I hear. It's not that I hear God's voice audibly, but I sure feel it in my heart when he says, Chuck, 
When you choose to be contented with what I've blessed you with, you will give me reason to bless you with more. But until such time, Chuck, I need you to learn to be grateful. I've never met a person that was happy that wasn't grateful. I've never met a believer that walked by faith in consistency that wasn't grateful. Desiring more and more might force us to do the things we should do and never do. I have found that people that are content return often to the throne room of God and say, would you and can you and I love you. I believe what happens in this is that we forget the order in which we're to be contented. So the same author, Paul, says to the Philippians in chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, one of the most famous Bible verses at the end of this text. Let's start with verse 11, though. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. And then the verse, for I, had, I, can, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Look at the order. Paul is saying, I have learned to be content with an empty belly or a full belly. I've learned to be content when I have it all or I have nothing. I've learned to be content with God has given me and I've learned to rejoice in that. And he wrote those words while he was shackled in prison. This is a guy that had been shipwrecked, snake bit, stoned, not that kind, and some of y'all need to get cleared up in your head here. It's been a long weekend for a few of y'all. Here's a guy that had every reason to be a whiny hiney, and he wasn't. He was the guy that could say, I can't take it anymore. He's the guy that shows up in the pastor's office and says, but I, I want to I do good, but I don't know how. And all the time, God is saying, hello, hello, I'm right here. You can trust me. I will direct you toward those things. And all the while, we forgot the order that Paul put us on. He said this, I have learned to do without and I have learned to do with and I have been content with what I have and because of that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, we like to take verse 13, pull it out and say, yep, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, but we forget that the process starts with these words. Listen to it again. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I mean, I think to myself through that, and I think the first words that you notice in both those passages is contentment. I think we know what contentment feels like because we know exactly how discontentment feels like. Because this is one of those things like, I know what it's like when me and Jenny's marriage is just perfect, and I know what it feels like when we're out of whack. Don't you? Like when me and Jen aren't in sync, my whole day is trashed. And when we're good, I'm like, yeah, who wouldn't love this? That was a joke, clearly not funny. But listen to me, folks. Don't you ever look in the mirror and, and think to yourself, but I thought by now I'd have that. I thought by now I'd be that. I wish I could have that. How come my neighbor gets that? He doesn't love God at all, and he's got a brand new Porsche. Because God's not in charge of Porsches, unless he wants one. You see, whatever can give you temporary contentment is the same thing that will cause you to stumble into eternity. 
and miss the beautiful bounty of living for Christ today. We know the feeling of discontentment when we feel it because discontentment is ugly. It's always wanting more than we could ever need. Discontentment is a trap that leads us into ruin, according to Paul. Discontentment is the love of money, not money, but the love of it. By putting anything in between, just like showing you that earlier about whatever stands between you and God, this right here is what we're discontented in. Whatever it is in our life that we're chasing to get over here, but it's right here that it's like, oh, pretty, and I'm gone. It's like a shiny, ooh, I want to chase that. And all of a sudden, we take God out of our lives. We set him over here on a shelf, and we chase after this and wonder then, why are we not content? Why are we not happy? Why do we not have what I really, really want? But you see, this has happened to Bible characters all through the Old Testament. You're not alone. I'm not alone. Adam and Eve. I mean, can you imagine what it'd been like if it was Chuck and Eve? I mean, seriously, it's just running around in the garden naked. Doesn't that sound fun? I mean, not with y'all, but you, you get my point, right? There's just two of them. I think it'd be so cool. I mean, and then all of a sudden, you wander up to this tree. And Eve says, hey, Chuck, look at that apple. He says, I know. We, we can't eat that. Oh, baby, come on. You know how good that apple's going to be? And then she kind of rubs up against you, you know, like, you know how good that apple's going to be? And he kind of rubs up, he's like, yeah, baby. It's a snapshot of me and Jen right there. But, um, <laughs> so he says, yeah, let's grab that apple and grab it, take a big bite. And says, Man, it's so good. And guess what? All of a sudden, all the rest of us now know what it's like to be discontent. All the rest of us know how to, how to feel what it's like to not be content because we're just grabbing apples. And you say, well, yeah, but that was a long time ago. That was Adam and Eve. Okay, well, let me give you a few more names that, that you might look at and say, okay, they were. what about Abraham and Lot? They had so much money they had to separate. I mean, what about David? He looks down and sees Bathsheba and he's like, baby, yes. He's so discontent, he became a murderer and an adulterer and a cheater. Jacob and Esau stole the, stole the dad's inheritance all out of wickedness and being discontented. I look at all of these stories and plenty more, and I, I remember this one saying, you say, if I had a little more, I should be very satisfied. You make a mistake if you're not content with what you have because you would ne never be satisfied if it were doubled. You say, well, who said that? Charles Haddon Spurgeon. It was true then, it's true now. When I see somebody who's on top of their game, it's like, man, I, money's good, family's good, life is good. There's a part of me that wants to be the realist in, in their life and say, man, God is blessing you so well. Have you said thank you to him? Have you, ha have you stepped into that contentment where God says, that's my kid, I love it when they're grateful? Or, or, or are you so content that you've kind of put contentment into a big box and, and God's over here in your life and you're over here and you're saying, man, I'm good right here. God, I don't really need you because things are good for me. I want to give you an encouraging word. They won't be forever. This, this is why if we chase anything other than Christ, if we have anything that's between us and all God wants for us, in the midst of that, what we are going to discover is how desperate 
discontented lives get. They're ugly. They make bad choices. They ruin relationships. So how do you turn your back on the feeling of discontentment and cultivate a great sense of contentment? I, I believe it's human nature for most people to live with a glass half empty. And I, every now and then I run across people and like, how are you doing? I'm great. And then you kind of think, are they lying because I'm the preacher? Was Friday really great for them? Was Thursday really great for them? I gotta tell you, this week was one of those weeks I have quit this job every single day this week. And yet here I am. I wanna tell you a story. Youth camp, 1974. El Paso, Texas. The native tree in El Paso is a telephone pole. <laughs> and you go, and it is somewhere between 104 and death. And they say, but it's a dry heat. Watch well, how you cook stuff. Music's playing, you're sleep deprived, you're jacked up on sugar. The guy gives this compelling come forward invitation kids are coming to give their life to Christ and I wander up behind them knowing that I'm a believer but believing God's called me to be in vocational ministry between that moment and when I got to my house I decided okay I must have missed God that was just emotion because there's no way under heaven I'm doing that my dad had done that and the minute my dad left the business world went in the ministry world I I, I became like fifth or eighth or tenth on the list because the church was always my dad's mistress. And I thought, no way. And then God called me. I did a little children's ministry and bus ministry and student ministry and Sunday school stuff and church growth stuff. And I wound up being a, a COO at a large mission agency. And you know what? All the while, I kept saying to the Lord, I can make money. I'm good at making money. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give money to you and I'm going to teach a class. But no possible way under heaven am I doing this job. And, and then the Lord somehow, like he did Austin, picked me up, which took more strength, and sat me down right here and said this, Chuck, I'm going to use you even in the people who hate your guts life. I'm going to use you. And I need you to just settle down and love Jesus. And I need you to just help lead these folks to do this one thing. Could you love your community so much that if you close the doors, all the people in this community would radically miss Sugar Hill Church. And I said yes to that. And let me tell you something. When I said yes, I was scared to death. Now, I put on all the bravado, like Matt was the chairman. And I'm thinking, how in the world did he trust me with this? Because almost seven years later, I'm the most contented human I know. I have an extraordinary wife. I have, I have whacked out kids that love me. I, I have a church that tolerates me. And there's not another church in the world to put up with me. And I'm so grateful for y'all. How could I go from, Lord, I'm never going to do this. So I can't imagine not doing this. How did that happen? Let me just stop and say, it's, it's not because of the money. It's because of one thing. I get to be a part of doing God stuff all day, every day. I get to play in the sandbox with God every single day. I am so captivated by the fact that God actually 
He let me in the club. I actually get to do God's stuff. But see, when, when you felt contented, you don't want to go back to being discontented. Remember the order. I can do with much or little. Because of that, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where are you at? Have you skipped over the front, trusting for the latter, and you're wondering why that's not happening? A contented soul brings peace of mind and peace of soul. A peace of mind and a soul that is hot for God brings contentment that comes from us chasing godliness. You see, it's, it's not about money. It's not about fame. It's not about riches. It's about attitudes, belief systems, and decisions. Let me give you this thought. Be thankful for what you have. You'll end up having more. If you concentrate on what you don't have, you'll never have enough. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's homes. Maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's cars. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's Botox. Maybe it's whatever you're chasing. But if it's between you and God, you're never going to enjoy the beauty of contentment. At some point, you've got to let go and let Jesus get into the right priority of our life and then sit still and allow his contentment to come to you. The universe is not conspiring against you. We're just chasing after the wrong thing. Today, let's chase after the right thing. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for those folks today who said, yes, I want to follow Christ. I'm grateful for folks right now that are determining and deciding that they want contentment to be at the top of their list because Jesus lives in a contented soul. God, for every person that would say, I, I meant to go or I wanted to go, God, would you give them the courage to just stop by the meet and greet room and just chat a little bit, just like Jessica did. God, I pray we turn our face toward you and turn our eyes toward you and trust you with all contentment in our life. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Would you stand up? I want to worship real quick. I know time is, is here, but I don't know if there's any of those folks that want to get baptized today. Maybe somebody around there pop their head out and let me know. Three or four? Get out of here. Well, we're definitely going to sing then. Do something fun. Let's do something fun. Let's celebrate. Y'all figuring out what to do. Come on, Corey. What are you doing over there?